Hello, I am glad that you are with us again on our video broadcast of the message for this Sunday. I know that uh, many of you are uh, praying for your church, and, and, and I get constant emails and notes of encouragement, and I deeply appreciate those. And uh, today, as we gather to hear the Word of God, I, I want to speak a word to Christians in dealing with times such as our own. And I hope that God will bless you through what I have to say from his holy word. And that maybe it will change uh, the Christian's perception of their role in what is going on in our time. If we could begin, let us pray. We want to pray for all those on the prayer list. I hope you have a copy of it at home that you can pray Prayer is so important. Uh, I always remember what Dwight L. Moody used to do when he would take people on a tour of the of the great Moody Church, and the last place he would take them to, he says, "I want to take you now now to the to the powerhouse of this church, the powerhouse of my preaching." And he would take them down to a large room under the pulpit, and he said, "This is where my deacons meet." And they pray all during the time I am preaching. Prayer is a, is a gift of God. It, it has power. It, it never is, is done without an effect. So I hope that you will be praying for the sick. Pray for the nation. Uh, pray for the people of the nation. Some of them are so beside themselves with anxiety and fear. Pray for our leaders that they will lay aside all political agendas and will focus on what is really needed uh, for the American people. I want you to pray for our healthcare scientists and researchers. Ask God to open doors for them as they, as they work to try to find a cure and a treatment and a, even a preventative, we hope, a vaccine against this virus. Pray for the nurses and doctors that are on the front lines of, of giving care to, to uh, those that are sick. Ask God to put a shield of protection around them that they will not be infected. I want you to pray for the people that are working so diligently to provide medical supplies. And let us not forget as well about those people that are working to see that food is on the table of Americans during this perilous time. Pray for our truck drivers and our railroad men and, and all of those. Pray for our clerks and managers at our grocery stores. Ask God to protect them as well. So as we begin our time together, then let's bow our heads for some time of prayer. We're going to begin with a moment of silence, and I just want to encourage you during this moment of silence that, that you make your own appeals to the Lord, knowing that the Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, making intercession for us. Let's just have a, a quiet time of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks that you are hearing our prayers, and we just want to lift up those that are sick, not only with the virus, but many other illnesses. 
We pray for healing for those that are sick. We pray for comfort for those that have lost loved ones. And Father, it, it is a difficult time uh, uh, for families to, to deal with grief since uh, public funerals are, are not allowed. And so we just pray that you'll minister to them and help them and encourage them during this time. We pray for our, our uh, manufacturers of the, of the needed commodities we have in America, food and, 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 and safe water and, uh, and the medical supplies we so desperately need. We pray for our scientists who are working diligently to find a more adequate treatment for this disease and, and a quicker test. And Lord, we give you thanks that it seems now that, uh, that a, a, a quicker test is becoming available. We pray for our military personnel that are on the front lines of supporting our medical staffs. Please bless our doctors and our nurses and all those caring for the sick. And dear Lord, I ask you to minister to every person at Lakeview Church that they would be assured and comforted and that they would uh, uh, have a sense of peace in, in this time. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you will help us to see that while this is a crisis, it is also an opportunity. So, Lord, as we come before your holy word on this Sabbath day, we ask you to bless us with your word and with your Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, as, um, as we look at our nation, our nation is just filled with anxiety. Uh, I was watching a TV program today that uh, was sharing that some people are so beset by all that is happening and all the fear that is going on that, that even after the disease is over, they may be permanently marked. Uh, and I, th I think that it is apparent that people are terrified. And, and uh, we need to realize that. Um, you know, I, I have been making an effort, and I'm going to come back to this uh, in, a, in the message. I've been making an e effort to stay in contact with as many of our people as I can, especially uh, the old and the homebound and the sick. And in uh, one case, in discussing uh, the situation with an elderly person, it, it just the anxiety of the situation just came through. And, and at the conclusion of the conversation, there was, there was this real sense of gladness in this person that they'd been contacted and that we'd prayed over the phone. I want to take you to God's Word as we reflect upon this current situation, this time of crisis. And today I want us to really reflect upon, upon the church's response. And when I say the church, you all know me well enough to, that I don't mean the four walls that that this message is being preached in, I mean you people. You people are the church, and I just want to lift this up. And I want to take you first to, to today to the Gospel of John, uh, this powerful sections of 13, 14, 15. I hope you'll take time to read them. But to, to not, today I want to focus on the words of Jesus when he speaks to the disciples. This is immediately... Uh, following his time with them in the upper room. He said, little children, verse 33, I shall be with you a little while longer and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, 
a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And verse 35, so important for us to hear. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, the church is living right now through a turbulent time, a time when when we all feel so uncertain. We just really uh, don't know from day to day what's going to happen next. And it's particularly difficult because the, the uh, cause of concern is something we can't see, smell, or taste. It's a virus. And it's a virus that, that really affects some people dramatically, particularly any whose immune system is compromised or if they're in any way weakened And not only that, but there are some that have uh, passed away from this disease uh, that from outward circumstances seem to be very healthy. We just don't have a handle on it. It's a pandemic. That means it's all across the world. And at this point in most places in the world, it is continuing to grow and advance and and touch more people. And that's frightening, isn't it? Well, I want to remind believers, now this is for you alone, that that what we talked about last time, that we are under the care of the great shepherd. And, And we're to approach and understand our life not in light of how the world sees life, but how the Bible teaches us to see life. And we know the scriptures tell everyone and people that never thought about it before are starting to think about it now. The scriptures tell everyone that it is appointed to man once to die. Death is a reality. Unless the Lord comes back, every person that's hearing this word that I am speaking today will die. Someday I will die. How soon, I don't know. But I want to give you a word from one of the great saints of the church who reminds us it's a very important thing in times like these. He said, we are all immortal. Now, this is for believers. We are all immortal until our earthly work is done. That is so true. The days of our our life are, as the Bible tells us, numbered like the hairs upon our head. As one of the great writers, St. Augustine, said that, that uh, the day we were born, God knew when we would die. And so none of us who are believers are going to die until the Lord's work has been accomplished in our life. That's a c- comfort to me. Because, you see, we measure our Success, our value, not in terms of the world, and, and, but in terms of God. And we know that, that those who are in Christ are in God's plan. And being in his plan, as we saw from the scriptures last week, we're in his hand. I don't know when I will die, but I, I don't fear it a bit. 
Oh, I may dread the dying process, as Zwingli, the great Swiss reformer, said, but the Christian never fears death. For we know that death is the portal by which we leave this world and enter into the glorious kingdom of God, a life that is far greater than we have words to describe. Our minds, as Paul cannot even said, cannot even comprehend the glory that is prepared for us. Now, I hope that conditions us as we deal with this pandemic. I hope that we understand that that in this current situation, we have security in Christ Jesus so that our real focus is not on physical survival first, but our real focus is on being faithful to Christ first. The church of Jesus Christ has endured pandemics. They were called plagues in those days. It's experienced those before. And tonight I want to draw back into history, all the way back to the uh, first and second century after Christ, very early in the church's life. It was, it, this happened at a time when, when um, the church was such a small group of people and, and they were persecuted and, and, uh, and they were made fun of. They were held in scorn, uh, as Paul writes, uh, hinting at it, at it in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, that, that, uh, that the message of the cross... We're going to be celebrating that shortly. The message of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. It was almost universally rejected. It had a very difficult time getting a hearing. And so coming up into the first century, they were a minority group. They were oppressed, and in many quarters they were disdained. They were lied about. They were misrepresented, uh, just as the New York Times editorial this week, I don't know if you read it or not, uh, it blames the spread of, of the virus on Christians because we are, quote, unscientific. A, a lie, a pure lie. And, and yet that's a, a hint of... Of, of what the church endured in the early days of the first century. So I want to say that, that during the first century and the second century, two great plagues went over the Roman Empire. And the account of that is recorded in the great um, church historian, Eusebius, who lived through the second plague, and he gives a report of what happened also in the first century and how the church dealt with the plague. I read an article the other day that some of the wealthy in the world have uh, secured private planes and have flown to some island where they're safe from any exposure to the disease, and, uh, and that is always the way that the, that the worldling handles it. The worldling tries to escape and get away. And the same was true in the Roman days. They, they retreated out to their uh, country estates and left the poor and the sick in the city and in the villages. And they withdrew. The Roman emperor, Mark Antony, withdrew. This was during the... Antonian plague, 
We're not sure exactly what it was, but some historians think it was probably the first emergence of the smallpox disease. And as you know, once a disease emerges, initially as it first starts, we have no resistance to it. And so smallpox can be a very, very deadly disease, and it is reported that almost a third of the citizens of Italy died from it. A third. In fact, they, they projected almost a third of the people in the entire Roman Empire perished from the, during the time of this Antonian plague. And the, the, the second plague, the, the, called the Cyprian Plague, it, it happened in around 215 to 260 A.D., And this is the one that Eusebius, uh, the great saint of the church, historian, lived through. And uh, and so how the world reacted was one way, but the Christians reacted entirely different. Oh, surely some of them were able to escape the cities had they chosen. Some of them could have withdrawn from the diseased people if they had chosen. But you see, there was no medical care as we experience nowadays. And, and, and diseases, in that time, even sometimes the least bit of, of nursing would make the difference between life or death. The Christians remained where the disease was. They did not disengage from those people that were suffering. And they ministered not just to the Christians, they certainly did that, but they ministered even to the pagans. And when these plagues were over, the pagans, many of them realized that these Christians who practice this religion that we're warned against or that we make fun of are the only ones that consistently showed us charity and care during this time of illness. Now, I want you to note that, that it wasn't long after 260, the second plague, that the influence of the Christian faith exploded across the Roman Empire. And I believe the reason for that was that, that they, this, the population knew that, that these Christians were not the bad people. They were not the uncaring people. They were not the stupid people that that had been presented by the pagans. But they were genuine, loving people. And and the population that had been through that and had been ministered by that and, 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 and even the pagans who had watched that were touched. One of the Latin historians writing about Christians is, oh, how Christians love one another. And we must love one another. I want to encourage every member of this church to make contact with other members and particularly uh, to make a point at least once a week to call some of the shut-ins and some of those that are sick and, and to encourage them and, and tell them that you're praying for them. But I also want us to be sensitive to any of our neighbors who may not be Christian, to be sensitive to their needs and to give them a call and to, and to see if they have any needs and, you know, we discovered that, 
that that if people have needs, somehow the Lord always provides for us the means to meet that needs. I don't know why, but there seems to be a terrible shortage of toilet paper. I um, I don't think the major aspect of that disease has anything to do with toilet paper, but but I remember that when I lived in Hawaii, that any time the longshoremen threatened to strike, and you know all everything in Hawaii had to be shipped in, the first thing that went off the shelves was the toilet paper. I I, I think that one could maybe develop a theory of measuring the degree of panic in a society by the urgency of people to buy toilet paper. But that is a real issue for many people, particularly the shut-ins. And I I spoke to some this week and and, uh, about any needs they have. And one was saying, well, I I may need help with this area. And some of them are going to need food, too, and and other things, especially if, if their closest caregivers get sick you know, they're going to have special needs. And there are people in your community that are not practicing Christians that may have needs too. And, and what I, I want to tell us this morning is don't take this crisis as something that God cannot use and cannot use you in it. And I believe one of the major ways is that Christians have the opportunity to show charity and compassion and love to everybody going through this process. To give them support. And it may not just be monetary support or the support of commodities. You know, it is so important to be there and let people know that you care. And it could very well be that that if the Christian church takes up the directives of the scriptures to be the witness to the love of Jesus Christ to our culture in our time, it will change our culture. The fact that the Christian church during the 100 to 280 A.D., walked so faithfully and was so loving to the, even to the people that mistreated them. As Jesus said, you know, we're not just to love those that love us. The Pharisees do the same. He said, we're to love even our enemies. And so I, I just want to challenge you in, in, the, in the particular community you live in is to make sure that out of all of this, from your life, the most of all shines love and compassion that is grounded in Jesus Christ. And I believe that the churches in America seize this opportunity that we might very well have an impact To bring on a spiritual awakening. Compassion is in short supply in our culture. And the sad thing is it's not often expressed enough through the people who know that the heart of their faith is to witness that love. As I've taught you before and I remind you again today. You talk about what is the chief mark of a Christian believer. 
What is the chief effect that when they come to a genuine born-again living faith relationship with Jesus Christ, what is the gift that stands out? It is not the gift of tongues. That is the least important of gifts. It's not even the gift of exhortation, which I'm exercising today to preach God's Word. No, Paul makes it very clear that the most excellent way, the chief gift, the universal mark that ought to be in the life of every single believer is the agape love of God, that special selfless love that we see in Jesus. So today in the midst of this crisis, I want to say to the believer, I want to say to you who are hearing this message, I want to say to the membership of Lakeview Church, make your commitment to Jesus Christ real by showing the compassion of Christ to those people in crisis. Don't let a single elderly member of this church think that this church is not concerned for them. Don't let any of our people, and we've got some sweet, loving people here that are dealing with some very serious diseases. Don't let them think that in the midst of this crisis that they are not loved by you. And furthermore, to that neighbor down the street that may not go to church, contact him regularly. See if him or her has any specific needs. Ask them if there's anything you can do. Tell them your church cares about them. If they have a shortage of, of uh, supplies or anything, the church will get busy to help them. Tell them that. And then tell them you're praying for them. And tell them that in Jesus Christ... You want them to know they are loved. I'm talking about non-church people. I want you to do that. And uh, I have certainly done it. I, as this church knows, I never ask you to do anything that I'm unwilling to do myself. So that we may take the blessed witness of Jesus Christ, the loving shepherd of the sheep, into the world. And we not only talk about it but we witness it in our deeds. I hope you will hear what I'm saying. I hope you will see the glorious opportunity that in this time of crisis, God is giving you and me. The opportunity to show how deep the love of Jesus is for each other within the body, but to those sheep that do not know the shepherd. How will the world know that you and I are disciples? The world will only know it as we model our discipleship in obedience to the ways of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And I assure you, that the Lord Jesus loves and is concerned for the people going through this crisis. Oh, we believers may, may rest in the comfort and joy of knowing that, that even if we're struck down, we shall live. But you know, my dear friends, there's so many around us right in our own neighborhood that are anxious. And you know what the bottom of their anxiety is? You know what the real root of their anxiety is? The real root is they lack a true 
living faith relationship with Jesus Christ. That changes how you face everything. Wow, what an opportunity we have to show them love and to give them our witness of peace. God bless every one of you. I hope that very soon this disease will have have calmed down and we can again gather together to meet in the Lord's house. But I know we're still meeting together in the Spirit. I know we're still committed to Him in the Spirit. And I know that we're still praising Him from our homes together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of this service, I want you to anoint the members of Lakeview Church. I want you to anoint them with the peace and assurance that they have in Jesus Christ and their assurance that nothing formed against them will stand. I hope you will assure them that they not only have an abundant life in this world, but they have an abundant life that is coming that is far greater. But Lord, I want you to put in our hearts the passion to show the love of Jesus, to show it to those who are afraid and anxious and insecure, to show it to those that don't know the Savior. Oh Lord, even as you did in the first and second century, as you led the Christians to minister in love, those who were afflicted by disease. So you would lead us to minister in love, those who are dealing with this disease. Help us to be encouragers of all who are working to heal and, and use us when we can to heal. And use us to, to minister and to, to reach out in love to those that don't have the comfort of Christ. Lord, you can very well use this terrible thing, this disease, to bring a revival. Lord, I always remember the words of Charles Spurgeon as he prayed for a revival in London. And he opened his prayer with the words, O Lord, send a revival and let it begin with me. Lord, in each member of Lakeview, send a revival that in this time of crisis, we will show the world what it is like for Christians to love one another and to love them. Give us opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.